all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. Hello, Mississippi. This is a live edition of Southern Remedy, the original one. And I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We would love to have your uh, call today because uh, I'm dangerous. I'm alone and lonely again. It's just me. I didn't bring a guest. Just want to talk to you. I'm at 1-877-672-7464. That's 1-877-MPB-RING. It's your chance to get with a doc in the box for no charge. So give us a call. It's all things considered on Southern Remedy, 1-877-672-7464. Lines are open. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Windsor Johnston. The Trump administration is set to unveil the outline of its tax plan this afternoon. NPR Scott Horsley reports the plan is calling for a sharp reduction in business taxes and easier paperwork for ordinary taxpayers. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin offered a sneak preview of the White House tax proposal at a forum sponsored by the Hill newspaper. While Mnuchin did not fill in many details, he does say the plan will be ambitious. This is going to be the biggest tax cut and the largest tax reform in the history of our country, and we are committed to seeing this through. The Treasury Secretary has argued that the proposed tax cut will pay for itself by spurring faster economic growth. Proponents made similar claims about the Reagan and George W. Bush tax cuts, which turned out not to be true. Scott Horsley, NPR News, the White House. President Trump has signed an executive order that will identify national monuments that can be rescinded or resized to open up more federal lands to drilling, mining and other development. NPR's Kirk Sigler reports that Trump has sought to reverse numerous environmental protections that were issued by former President Obama. This is really widely seen as a direct response to two national monument designations in particular that were made in the late hour of the Obama administration, and these were controversial. There was the Bears Ears Monument in southern Utah, which is about a million acres of federal public land considered sacred to Native American tribes. And then you had the Gold Butte Monument designation in Nevada, which is near adjacent to Cliven Bundy's ranch, and he's the anti-federal government rancher who led an armed standoff over cattle grazing. NPR's Kirk Sigler reporting an estimated 40 national monuments will be under review. One of America's most influential movie directors has died. Jonathan Demby directed the films Something Wild, Silence of the Lambs, and Philadelphia. As NPR's Neta Ulibi reports, he died at 73 of cancer. Jonathan Demme also directed one of the great rock documentaries of all time, Stop Making Sense from 1984 with The Talking Heads. 
Den came up under the tutelage of a legendary softcore exploitation director, Roger Corman. Demi's first movies had titles like Crazy Mama and Caged Heat. But Demi became one of the country's most thoughtful mass market directors. He directed such art house films as Swimming to Cambodia and documentaries about Haiti and Jimmy Carter. His Philadelphia was the first mainstream drama about AIDS. And he won an Oscar for Silence of the Lambs, considered one of the best and smartest scary movies in Hollywood history. Nato Ulibi, NPR News. Stocks are trading higher on Wall Street at the hour. The Dow was up 48 points. The Nasdaq Composite up two. The S&P 500 up four points. You're listening to NPR News in Washington. New information is out today on how education relates to religion. NPR's Tom Jelton reports. The survey by the Pew Research Center looked at the relation between education and religiosity. Greg Smith, the lead researcher, says for the U.S. public as a whole, the numbers are clear. The more education you have, the less religious you are. College graduates are less likely to say they believe in God with absolute certainty. They are less likely to say that religion is very important in their lives. They're less likely to say that they pray regularly. And they're more likely to say they are atheists or agnostics. But there is a catch. Among Christians in particular, the level of education doesn't seem to matter all that much. Highly educated Christians are actually more likely to attend church regularly than less educated Christians. That does not hold for other groups. Highly educated Jews, for example, tend to be less religiously observant than less educated Jews. Tom Jelton, NPR News, Washington. Parts of the U.S. are in the path of potentially severe weather today. The National Weather Service has issued warnings for parts of Arkansas and southern Missouri for severe thunderstorms and possible tornadoes. In North Carolina, floodwaters are moving downstream from Raleigh. We're going to see rises uh, there along the river, and then all those creeks and tributaries that are uh, flowing into it are likely backed up, and so there may still be water over some roadways uh, when you go uh, east of Raleigh towards uh, Goldsboro and Wilson. Meteorologist Barrett Smith with the National Weather Service. I'm Windsor Johnston, and you're listening to NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include EBSCO, studying how people use information and developing technologies and resources to create greater access to content. EBSCO employs developers, subject experts, and librarians. Learn more at careers.ebsco.com. You're listening to Southern Remedy with Dr. Rick DeShazo on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Hello and welcome back to a live episode, that's what it's going to be, an episode of Southern Remedy. We want to thank all of you for tuning in. This is the All Things Considered version on Wednesday, and we'll take anything you want to talk about into consideration and try to be helpful if we can. If not, we will refer you to the appropriate resource, and we have a whole electronic bank of resources that we can send you if that uh, will be helpful. So give us a call at 1-877-672-7464. I'm going to go to Jackson in just a minute. We have one one line 
uh, that has someone waiting. I'm going to go to Jim in just a second and go to you if you give us a call on the remaining three lines, one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. That's one eight seven seven mpb ring I, uh, I have been uh, very fortunate to participate in a Southern Remedy um, documentary that will be coming out soon on marijuana use in children. It's been a pretty scary experience, and I've learned a lot of neurology that I didn't know. But I will tell you that most people don't get it as to what's going on in that area. So that's going to be, uh, a, a, I hope, a hope, uh, useful and informative uh, thing for you to watch. And if you want to talk about marijuana, we can talk about that. Oh, we can talk about anything you're talk you want to talk about, like toenail fungus. And let's go to Jim in Jackson. Hey, Jim. Hi, sir. Thanks uh, for your call. Yeah. Hi. Appreciate the uh, the service you all render. Uh, okay. Toenail fungus. Uh, what causes it? Yeah, a fungus. But what does that stem from? And then secondly, what's the, is there a home remedy? Uh, I've heard someone someone's told me. Uh, try uh, Vicks Vapor Rub. Vicks Vapor Rub? Mm-hmm. That's a home rub. That's a home remedy. Really? The one that works. Well, let's talk about this a little bit. Let's talk about this a little bit. First of all, uh, in order to diagnose toenail fungus uh, accurately, you have to scrape the nail and do a stain and look at it under a microscope, which means you usually have to go to a dermatologist or a primary care person who's set up to do this. However, any doctor can do the scraping and put it in a tube and send it to the path laboratory and ask them to do it. Unfortunately, sometimes we don't remember that. Uh, So that can be very helpful in establishing the diagnosis because every nail that is yellow or white and sloughing off isn't fungus. There are other things that can do this. Actually, the most common cause of that in, uh, in older people, I'm talking about people over 65, is actually dry nails. The nails dry out just like the skin, and you get this uh, cracking, breaking uh, nail that, that people mistake uh, is a fungus problem. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons that Vicks Vapor Rub works so well on fungus, because a lot of people are actually re-moisturizing their nails with topical Vicks Vapor Rub, uh, and you have to apply it every night, basically forever, to each of your toenails. Now, presuming that you are correct uh, and that it is fungus. Uh, there really are uh, two approaches to this. One is topical antifungal uh, ointments and creams, and the second one is a pill called terbinafine. And uh, all of the good ones are prescription. Uh, none of the over-the-counter antifungal creams work as good as the antifungal ones that you can get by prescription. My favorite is one called Econazole, E-C-O-N-A-Z-O-L-E, but there are a whole bunch of them that have been approved for this. Uh, uh, Cycloprox uh, is one of them, um, and uh, Tavaborol, they all have weird names, 
and morphine. Uh, that sounds like morphine, doesn't it? Mm. No one to use that one. And uh, ephenaconazole. But uh, econazole is easy to remember. And the way you use that is you put it on your toenail uh, every night. Uh, not, not much. Just rub it on each uh, toenail, and it definitely will knock it down. The problem is without removing the toenail, I mean, it's pulling your toenails out, uh, which is the ultimate solution for this problem. Um, it, it tends to come back whether you use either one of these. So my recommendation to you would be, A, keep your feet dry. Biggest cause of this problem is wet feet, and you can put baby powder or any kind of powder you want to put on your feet before you put your socks on. If your socks get wet, you need to change your socks um, during the day. And then start using, uh, call your primary care provider uh, and get a prescription for one of these topical antifungals like I've told you. Uh, If you want to try one of the oral antifungals, some of these um, may be helpful if you don't have a real bad problem. But always get the ointment because if you actually have a dry nail problem, the cream won't help very much. So I would suggest if you want to try an over-the-counter one, you would get uh, a, an ointment. Is that helpful? Oh, very much so. So your recommendation is uh, tr- talk with the primary care uh, provider, uh, ask for the econazole or something similar in ointment form. Um, yeah, over, that's the cheapest way to do it without going into the doctor. I would just call the doc. If you have a primary care doctor, he ought to be comfortable uh, doing that, uh, just calling it in for you with no charge. You can call his nurse is the best way to get to him. Uh, you always need to know your doctor's nurse's name because they are a lot easier to get to. And ask her if she would have him call you in a prescription for econazole um, uh, to put on your nails. And uh, uh, the the best way to do it would be to go in and have him scrape them and send it for a KOH a potassium hydroxide stain to see if it's actually fungus. But uh, that's going to cost you more money, so you may want to just try treating it symptomatically first. But you're going to have to continue to do that uh, for many months, and then when you stop it, it may come back. If you want to try for something that's really low cost, just put the Vicks uh, Vapor Rub on there every day, and uh, that may be just about as good, in my opinion. How's that? I imagine the, the the next question, if you don't mind, if you have time. Mm. Uh, the uh, I guess it's the seriousness of the of the case as to how quickly uh, either of these remedies might work, and uh, I gather you do have to continue uh, long term with them. Right. If you're diabetic, you need to go in to see the doctor anyway. Diabetics have an increased prevalence of of fungal infections of the skin and nails. So if you're diabetic, you don't play with this. You go in to see your doctor. Otherwise, uh, you've got time to play with it yourself. So if you want some more uh, information about this, Jim, just send me an email at southernremedy.mpbonline.org, and I have a uh, handout on a toenail fungus that may be useful. It's a very, very common problem, and I hope uh, that this has helped. Let's go to another Jim in Jackson. Hey, Jim, how are you? Jim, you there? Good morning. Uh, I'm over 65, and my doctor on the last visit recommended that I started taking statins. Uh-huh. He says the new study out depends less on numbers like cholesterol and what have you, but based on the fact that I'm simply over 65. 
Yeah. Uh, is there a new study out on the effectiveness of statins for bad heart disease? I don't know if uh, you know it, but you better stick with that doctor. He is right up to date um, and knows his stuff. So uh, I think you got a good one. The bottom line on this is is that statins do a whole bunch of different things. Uh, they lower your bad cholesterol, the LDL. They slightly increase your HDL, which is better increased by exercise. And uh, they also have what are called pleiotrophic effects, which is a big name for they do a lot of other good things, and we don't know why. They, the, If you look at populations of people who take statins and those who don't, the overall all-cause morbidity death rate is lower in people who are on statins. So they're doing something other than just those cholesterol things that we're talking about. And the American College of Cardiology has just recommended that we liberalize the use of statins because too few people are in it. When you have a population are using it, when you have a population, 75% of whom are overweight or obese, all of these people are very high risk uh, for coronary artery disease and strokes. And people in general who are older and men have a higher risk. So if you have a family history of a first-degree relative, if you're overweight, if you have diabetes, if you're on any kind of medicine for an inflammatory condition like one of the biologics for rheumatoid arthritis or any of the connective tissue diseases, we're putting all those people on statins. We usually start with pravastatin, which is cheap as dirt, 10 milligrams, and uh, that seems to be uh, well tolerated without problems. Is that helpful, Jim? Yes, but what about the side effects? Any downside to taking statins? Well, the big downside is is that some people uh, say that they get muscle cramps from them, and they did a big controlled study looking at placebo versus statin on muscle cramps, and the prevalence was the same. So uh, th- there's no doubt that in a very small percentage of people, it can cause muscle problems, but it's much smaller than most folks take. And uh, we there's a vitamin <clears throat> that you can take, um, a nutraceutical, that you can take if you do get those muscle cramps. So uh, that's very unusual. I wouldn't expect you to have any trouble. What about liver damage or damage to any of the organs? Well, very rare. Very rare. Of course, anybody who's an alcoholic or has chronic hepatitis uh, or any other liver diseases increased risk for anything that's metabolized in the liver. Uh, we usually get one liver test uh, four to six weeks after starting a statin in people who are nervous, but the recommendations are changing on that too. In fact, most uh, most people are not not even following those. Uh, not even checking for liver problems anymore, although it's dependent on the physician uh, that you're working with. Sounds like you got one who can give you the right information on that. Is that helpful? Thank you very much. All right, good to talk to you. We have some lines open. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics. It's all things considered. Whatever you want to talk about today, we'll give it a shot. We're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or one eight seven seven MPB ring. Love to have your call. They get really busy at the end of the program. We got two lines right now, so now's a good time to uh, give us a call. Let's go to Larry in Georgia. Hey, Larry. 
Dr. Rick, good morning, Dr. Rick. A uh, couple of fast questions. One, I'm 68 years young. First, let me say it's a blessing hearing your voice. Thank you very much. Uh, two, currently uh, um, I'm taking the Finsteride and recently started taking Flomax or Tamsulin to uh, reduce my need to urinate in the evening. I'm still doing that. And so I want, my first question is, does the Flomax really stop you, stop the need to to urinate at night, that's one. Secondly, um, I had a blood test because I was feeling fatigued. It came back saying that my, that my lymphocytes, the value of 83, the range was like 21 to 51, so it was high. Had a CAT scan this, this weekend from you know, my upper body, showed some lymph nodes. I'm scheduled to have a bone marrow test today to get a quote definitive diagnosis. So my question is, um, uh, why get a definitive diagnosis from the bone marrow? And then secondly, because I, because I don't know the trees from the forest, what type of questions should I ask? I don't know what to ask. Okay. All right. Well, I'm sorry you're having to go through that. Uh, let's do the Flomax thing first. Uh, Flomax is a muscle relaxer. That's why it can cause you to, when you stand up, to get dizzy because it relaxes the muscles in the blood vessels in your lower legs. Uh, and all the blood goes to those those blood vessels, and it doesn't get pumped back up, squeezed back up like it usually would when you stand up. So <clears throat> it is a muscle relaxer, and it only uh, has so much effect depending on what your problem is. Most people that take Flomax have prostatism, which is an enlarged prostate about the size of a chestnut that sits uh, right over... Uh, or uh, your your urethra, and uh, as it enlarges, or it actually can go through there in some cases, uh, as it enlarges, it uh, squeezes your urethra, and that causes a lot of irritation called LUTs, lower urinary tract symptoms. That's uh, having to urinate multiple times, small volumes, get up all during the night, uh, run to the bathroom, uh, and if you don't lose your urine, uh, never feel that your bladder's empty. That, that's prostatism. All this, some other causes can can cause this as well. So you need to have this checked out by your doctor. So <clears throat> um, that works only so good because it uh, it can only open uh, address the muscle part of it. Finasteride, a second drug, is frequently given in combination if the tam- tamsulosin <clears throat> uh, Flomax does not solve those, get rid of those symptoms. So usually uh, if somebody has fairly significant symptoms, we give both of those together and as the, after about a year try to drop out the Flomax because it sh- the tamsulosin shrinks the uh, prostate. So that's the usual combination. If you need more information about that, I'll, I have a nice handout. So just send me an email at southernremedy.mpbonline.org. I'm sorry that your lymphocyte count is up and that you're having to have a bone marrow. Uh, <clears throat> there is a form of, of uh, leukemia called chronic lymphocytic leukemia that is associated with too many lymphocytes. And uh, the diagnosis of that is made by uh, bone marrow uh, biopsy and aspiration and genetic studies. And the treatment of uh, leukemia in men, uh, in, uh, uh, in adults, now is very, very different than it was 
previously. <clears throat> we have many more drugs, and uh, many people outlive certain forms of leukemia. So I would not get too anxious about this. What you need to ask your doctor is, um, n- number one, what did your bone marrow sh- results show? Could you have a copy of it? Uh, because if you want a second opinion, you want that to take to somebody else. And uh, if if he if the diagnosis is one of the leukemias, they're going to offer you either watchful waiting, depending on uh, how bad it is, or uh, chemotherapy. And you'd probably want to get a second opinion unless you know the doctor who is recommending this uh, real well, or he or she is in a large group of people who have a large number of patients. So <clears throat> I think ask for copies of your laboratory work and your um, uh, biopsy and uh, bone marrow biopsy and pathology so you can get a second opinion if you choose to do that. Um, and that's pretty much it. So I hope that uh, I hope that the bone marrow is fine and you won't have a problem. Uh, but if you want some more information about that, just drop me an email and we'll give you something on that too. And we'll be thinking about you. Thank you for your call. All right, let's go to our next caller, and that's going to be uh, Melanie in Pickens, Alabama. We have one line open. Give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. I'm Dr. Rick, and it's All Things Considered. Hello, Melanie. Hi. I had a question about the screenings you hear about periodically coming around that screen for like aneurysms and carotid artery problems and such as that. Is that worth your time and money, or what's your opinion? All right, that's a, a, a really good question. Uh, a lot of churches uh, and hospitals and other organizations have these <clears throat> screenings that include ultrasounds uh, of the vessels as long as some blood work um, for cholesterol. They check your blood pressure. They may get a urinalysis. It varies depending on uh, who's sponsoring it, how much money they're paying per capita uh, for the people who, who go to the screenings. Uh, they are, these are double-edged because the more laboratory test that you get, this is statistical uh, calculation, the more laboratory test you get, the more likely you are to get one that is a false positive. So if you get five or six lab tests, you're much more likely to get uh, something that is a false positive, that is an abnormality that isn't one, than if uh, you you select the test on the basis of the patient and their need for the test. So the risk is is that you will get some results that uh, will put you in a cycle where you end up having lots of uh, contact with the medical establishment that you don't use, need. Now, I personally <clears throat> am in favor of these, especially since very few of our people get uh, the kind of preventive health care we should be getting. Uh, we should be getting all of our shots. We should be getting our blood pressure checked, our cholesterol checked, all that stuff regularly, especially if you're over 50, <clears throat> when you should be having that your eyes examined every year. Uh, and if you ha- if you're obese, then you know you're at risk for everything. So you know it, it's a minimum of one year, if not every six months. So um, <clears throat> the the ones that you're talking about are the carotid ultrasound. There are two arteries in your neck, 
uh, that you can feel if you put your fingers uh, under your chin that take blood from your heart to your brain. And when those get get plaques in them, there are pipes that can get plaques in them, uh, they uh, predispose you to a stroke from either a piece of the plaque blocking off, breaking off, or just constricting the blood vessel till it closes. So um, these uh, screens have only been recommended for uh, smokers and primarily for male smokers, but they're done on everyone. And uh, we're very concerned that, that uh, um, one, if, if you get an abnormal one, that it's repeated in a standard laboratory where they're doing these all the time, and that you get follow-up. So that's a long answer to a short question, Melanie, but I don't think there's a downside if it's the usual 30 bucks and you're getting all this information. But if you've already had the information, you don't need it. And uh, I would share the information with my doctor uh, for uh, further uh, information and recommendations. Thank you for your call, and we appreciate it. If you want to know more about health screenings, or whatever else is on your mind, give us a call. We're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. I've had two cups of coffee, so I'm ready to go. Love to have your call, and we got two lines open. Let's go to Jackson and Don. Hey, Don. Don, are you there? Yes, I'm here. It's your turn. Hey, uh, uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I have a uh, family member that uh, is dealing with um, memory disorders. I think it's uh, more or less uh, uh, Alzheimer's. And uh, and uh, his treatment seemed to involve the two uh, drugs that a lot of people associated with that order seem to, disorder seem to be using, uh, Asaph and Namenda. Right. And, and uh, I just have been wondering, is that the state of the art or... Has there been any more advances in terms of uh, treating that? Because it was it's such a uh, difficult disorder from a from, you know from a standpoint of the family dealing with it. And I just wondered whether any better options or any is there anything coming down the road that might address that a little bit more? That is, that is a, another question. I wish uh, I had paid you to ask me because it's so important. Um, uh, I'm an expert on this because I had uh, my mother uh, had Alzheimer's, and we went through the whole cycle all the way from, um, you know, assisted living to nursing home to hospice. Uh, a lot of people out there are doing this, and I'm also a geriatrician, so I, I know uh, what you're talking about. When you look at what's happening Uh, Our population is aging, and the older we get, the more likely we are to have this problem. So something like 30% of people will get this if they live long enough, and many of us feel that everybody will get it if you really live long. Uh, There are certain abnormal proteins that accumulate in your brain that seem to be causal, although there is not totally worked out yet. There's a big study at UMC, which is one of the leading ones uh, in the in the whole world looking at this right now. You may know that there's this thing called the Mind Center, M-I-N-D Center at UMC that's been endowed by some very, very um, well-meaning and helpful Mississippians 
to provide clinical and uh, research uh, studies on this. So to get directly to your question, neither one of those drugs, Aricept or Namenda, work well. Uh, they are now being put together and given together, and they don't work much better together than they do separately. Some people say d- respond, so since we don't have anything else to give people for Alzheimer's dementia, uh, we will we will try each one of them and let the family see uh, if they work. My mother had uh, nothing but side effects from both of them, and we took her off of each of them after a two-week trial. Um, there are some biologics that are being developed. These are things like you've heard of Enbrel and Humira. Those are biologics. They are monoclonal antibodies, antibodies against these materials in the in the brain that accumulate uh, in Alzheimer's disease and may be related to uh, the course of the disease causing the disease or making it worse. And those are under clinical trials right now, and some of them are pretty promising. So I think we'll have some new therapies here. A lot of money is being spent looking at this. And uh, the best way that you can uh, can have a positive effect on that is to uh, write your congressmen and senators uh, to continue to support the NIH budget, National Institutes of Health budget. They have the National Institute of Neurological Diseases up there that funds a lot of these, and the vascular group funds some, and they their budget is getting swashed uh, by the present administration. So if you want to do something constructive to help other people with this problem, talk to your congressman or senator and let them know you want that funding to be continued, and you'll be surprised how powerful that that is. So to sum up, Don, no. There's nothing that works for this disease. Uh, it is progressive on its own terms, usually runs about seven years, and people usually die of pneumonia uh, as after uh, after having a while. And that's that's the bottom line. If anybody wants to talk more about Alzheimer's or any other disease, give me a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, and I could just give you a sound bite. Uh, but we'll put a whole bunch of sound bites together and try to give you as much information as you need. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Frank and Jackson. Hey, Frank. Howdy, Hello. Frank. Hello. Doing this morning. I'm better since you call. You made my day. Two things. Number one, if you have a foot odor problem, get yourself some loose cheap tea, cheap, loose tea, and buy a little uh, uh, canvas bag that you can buy almost anywhere, a little small one, and put that in your shoes, and the odor goes away. It is, it is, it is amazing how inexpensive that works, but you need to put it in a canvas bag uh, because um, the tea bags, the little paper the tea bags don't, uh, don't hold up. Okay, so, now give me that, give me that again. All, all I got was put your foot in a canvas bag. I don't think that was what you were saying. This is for people with awful foot odor, and and what is what are you saying? It loose tea, which is inexpensive. Oh, that's a product. It's tea, T E A. Oh, just plain old tea. Old tea, right? Uh huh. Okay, what do you do with it? Plastic, a little uh, canvas bag that you can buy about two inches by three inches, and put that in your shoe, and the odor goes away. 
it's a, it's a miracle. Okay, so you put a, a bag of tea in in your in your uh, in your shoes and uh, keep it from going all over the place by putting it in a little bag and wear that. Is that what you're saying? Number two, I saw this show last night about a guy who ate only fish for a year. Mm-hmm. Had to get his omega-3s up. Mm-hmm. That, yes, his omega-3s went up, but he was he was developing a toxic dosage of mercury. <laughs> Oh, that's terrible, isn't it? Okay, well, let me let me uh, address your two points, both of which are very interesting. Number one, uh, I've never heard of the tea remedy. Uh, if you sweat as much in your feet as I do, you probably would make tea uh, with that uh, that in your shoe. So there you go. And I'm I'm a big tea for, a fan as long as you don't put sugar in it. Don't like the sugar, and I'm glad you didn't add any of that to the to the preparation. But that's a very interesting. Uh, Home remedy, and I, I have a grandson who has the stinkiest seat, uh, feet in Mobile, Alabama. I'm going to tell him to try that. He's tried everything else. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, so so far as the uh, uh, omega three, uh, actually omega three in many many people does increase the HDL. The problem is you have to eat if you're going to eat uh, uh, take enough of it. Uh, to make any difference, you smell like a mackerel because you have to take grams of this stuff. Now, there is a f- form, <clears throat> or you can freeze the capsules. That helps some and take them frozen. And by the time they are uh, uh, digested, they're all the way through to your bowel, small bowel, and you don't burp them up, which is good. And then there's uh, a prescription, very expensive form of that uh, as well. I don't think that is, uh, it's very rare that you need to take omega-3. That's in some cases where people have their triglycerides out of whack, and that's one of the few things that does much for that. So the average person doesn't need need uh, to take omega-3. You don't, ta- you don't get enough in one tablet or two tablets a day or capsules to do any good anyway. You have to take tons of it. And you don't want to smell like a mackerel or probably have stinky feet with that as well. So um, uh, I'm not big on that. I'd rather use a statin if you got lipid problems. And I hope that's helpful. Uh, I'm not sure it is, but it's the best I can do. Thank you for your call. And who are we going to next? Uh, uh, we're going to let's go to Bobby in Memphis. I'm Dr. Rick at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. That's one eight seven seven MPB ring. Howdy, Bobby. How you doing? I'm doing good. What's happening? Just shy of sixty years old, and about a year and a half ago, I went on to finasteride for frequent trips to the bathroom at night. Right. At a half a milligram, worked great for about a year, and then I finally had to go up to the full five milligram. I recently had a bladder ultrasound, which showed that my bladder emptied all but one ounce of fluid. Mm -hmm. My PSA last week was Mm .91. Urologist said uh, that he noticed in my chart that I used to take saw palmetto, and I quit taking it because I didn't see any difference in helping. And he said to go back on it, which I have. And the five milligram finasteride and the salt palmetto really have helped. 
But with my PSA low and my ultrasound showing just one ounce, he said to come back in a year. Do you think I need to stay with that regimen or can I get off the finasteride? Well, your your urologist is obviously going to be your your best source of information. I'll tell you what I know about this. Number one, finasteride drops your PSA level. And uh, and if we we want to follow people that are on finasteride with a digital rectal exam on a yearly basis uh, because you can generate a fairly large cancer in your prostate and it doesn't bump your pros- your PSA levels out of the normal range when you're on finasteride. Not many people are aware of that, but it's very important. So you're going to be seeing him every year anyway. Uh, number two, salt palmetto. Saw, S-A-W, palmetto, uh, is an anti-androgen, very much like uh, like the finasteride, uh, and it can make you imp- impotent, just like rarely um, finasteride does. There was a large control study looking at the efficacy of saw palmetto uh, in dealing with prostatism, and the results were not a lot better than placebo. So I don't recommend it anymore, although many of the urologists still uh, feel it works, and in your case, it has. So I don't think there's any combined toxicity to it. Uh, I would uh, take the two of them together. The prescription medicine is the one that you know what's in it. You don't know what's in Saul Palmetto uh, because it's not really a drug. It's a nutraceutical, and Lord knows what what they're in there. One of the things they found that study is all the different stuff that was in Saul Palmetto other than Saul Palmetto. So um, uh, if you want to continue to take that, it's working fine. Try to stay on the one that you're on that you know works, which hopefully is um, one that is approved by the U.S. Pharmacopeia. And you'll see the USP label on that. At least somebody has looked at it uh, as opposed to some of the others. And I hope that's helpful. Uh, and uh, I appreciate your call, Bobby. Thank you for that. Let's go to South Haven. You're listening to Southern Remedy. I'm at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. I'd love to take your call. John, how are you doing? Doing fine. How are you today? Thanks for taking my call. Well, thank you. What's going on? Well, I have a, a question that probably uh, I was hoping somebody else would have asked by now, but uh, about no testosterone. Uh, about 14 years ago, uh, my urologist told me that my pituitary gland had just stopped sending the signals to make testosterone. And uh, I've been on an androgel for years, but it's gone where insurance companies won't uh, cover it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering about the effects. Uh, I'm 69, and I have a prostate high PSA, about uh, 9.6. Mm. But I'm stable. I've been seeing a urologist for 14 years, and uh, he's, he keeps saying I'm stable. I've had three biopsies with no problems. And uh, what I was wondering is, can I quit taking the testosterone, or will my muscles atrophy? Uh, what, what would be the effects of a man my age just going off the medicine? Well, that's a, that's a tough question. Let me just tell you what I know. What I know is the NIH stopped their testosterone replacement study uh, because the people in the study uh, had more uh, heart attacks and strokes 
and the ones who were the controls who were not taking testosterone. That has been uh, confirmed with a more recent study that has also found more vascular problems in people people taking testosterone supplement. And uh, so in general, I don't put anybody, I try not to put anybody on testosterone, uh, but there are some men that have such low levels that they do have symptoms. Uh, that Those are rarely the people who ask for it. The people who ask for it are usually fine. Uh, so you have to get the test at the right time of the day, and you have to get the right test. And uh, my recommendation to you is that uh, is a urologist that's doing your prostate care the same one who gave you the testosterone? Or is that a different person? No, same person. Yeah. Well, uh, do you know if uh, I, what I would tell tell him I would like to do, uh, first of all, your muscles don't blow away if you stop testosterone therapy. There are other uh, hormones in your body that so- pick up some of the slack from that and uh, another, other steroid ho- hormones. And uh, no... People with hypogonadism usually, as adults, usually don't have a have a problem. If you had early onset with this, then you should have been referred to a uh, to an endocrinologist to make sure that you didn't have other deficiencies like thyroid or others. Have you? Has he checked your thyroid uh, test? Okay. And, uh, that's fine. Actually, you only got one thyroid, but it works fine. Uh huh. I lost one back in high school. Actually, had a tumor on it. But, okay. Uh, here's I what I would. Also, I have a blood doctor mm-hmm. who watches everything. Yeah, this is a hematologist. Yes. Uh huh. Well, well, I I would definitely get his input on this. If he says it's okay, that'd be fine with me. But I'll tell you what I would probably want to do at this point is I'd probably want to stop the testosterone and remeasure the levels using the modern test to make sure uh, that it doesn't that doesn't come back. Now, it's going to be suppressed right now because you're taking, you turn off some of your own testosterone production. Uh, well, there's not a big feedback with this like there is with some of the other stero- uh, uh, hormones, but uh, there is some. And so you would have to wait six to 12 weeks uh, before you repeated the studies, but that's the best way to get an answer whether you need to stay on it. And if you just basically don't have any or you don't don't have any uh, at all, which is unusual, um, then that would be something that you could continue. But uh, you need to know the risk, and that is vascular risk. Okay. Well, even with uh, 80 milligrams a day, my testosterone levels are just over 100. Mm-hmm. Uh, very low. That's weird, isn't it? Well, yeah, it uh, seems to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think at this point I would see an endocrinologist. With with that set of questions, and you're seeing a hematologist for what reason? I have uh, polycythemia. Oh, oh, wait a second. Yeah. Well, testosterone well, promotes. You on two drug. Uh, you're on a drug that promotes two problems. You've got polycythemia and prostatism. So the odds are in favor, from my perspective, of taking the lowest dose possible and none, if possible. And I would see an endocrinologist for a second opinion. Okay, good. Thank you. All right. Very good. Thank, Thank you for you your call. Uh, let's go to Woodville. 
Uh, I'm Dr. Rick. I'm professor of medicine and pediatrics at UMC. This is our All Things Considered Wednesday Doc in the Box call in. We're taking questions on any topic, and we have a couple of lines open. I'm at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. so give me a call. Uh, Lee, are higher things in, in Woodville? They are great. The weather's great, and uh, we're having a wonderful spring. Well, I, I uh, anybody that's had a stroke every day, you you appreciate every day you have, and every moment. Uh, and as I am getting older and older and older, uh, I haven't had a stroke yet, thank God. Uh, but I'll tell you, I have learned to appreciate uh, any attention, even attention from people I don't want attention from. <laughs> so <laughs> you may have had the same experience. Thank you, Dr. Rick. And as you know, I am a three-time stroke survivor. Mm. Three-time. Doc, what I wanted you to do today, I wanted you to talk and tell your listeners, all right, if I am correct, down in Pasigula, the two neurologists there have left because of financial problems in Jackson County and Pasigula area. All right, what I wanted you to talk about was I know that Mississippi has only one, one level one trauma center, which is the University of Mississippi Medical Center. But the people should know that the rural providers, these doctors and these nurse practitioners are well trained and that there's a video conference that if you got to the rural hospital, they would hook up with UMC until they could get you transported to UMC, and you could do better. These people are trained. Let their business know what's going on with that hookup. I am so glad that you called because I that was not on my agenda for today, but it, it, it is very important. And it the 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 thing about heart attacks that is the quicker you can get in, the more likely you are not to have serious long-term side effects goes for strokes and you're on the clock as soon as you start having a stroke until you can get to an emergency room that is set up to handle that and all of our critical access hospitals in the rural areas of the state have hookups uh, to the UMC emergency room and thus to the stroke center at UMC and uh, there are things that that uh, need to be done immediately if you have a stroke, and that is to decide whether or not you need to be anticoagulated or have a clot bluster, buster. And that clot buster is available in all those hospitals, critical access hospitals, that are hooked up to UMC through telemedicine. And you can get the clot buster uh, locally and be shipped down to UMC, to the Stroke Center, or to wherever else you want to go, uh, to any of the other hospitals that have stroke programs uh, in the state, and uh, you beat the clock. So if you're having stroke symptoms, which is weakness in one arm, seizure, uh, dropping uh, of your lip, uh, any kind of weakness that's asymmetrical, more on one side or the other, problems with thinking all of a sudden, you need to go uh, get that looked at immediately and not wait and see if it goes away. That's what people do, Lee. 
they they have these symptoms and they 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 just deny them. They just say, well, that'll be better in the morning. Go to sleep and wake up paralyzed. So uh, thank you so much for your call. And call me back again about every three months and remind me to do this again. And all the best to you. So that was Lee from Woodville, a stroke survivor who knows what's going on with the stroke problem in the state. Let's go to, uh, and I'm at, I'm at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Richard on the road. Hey, Richard. Hey. What's happening? Um, I wanted to talk about, uh, well, I have uh, chronic illness with pain in my knees. I had some surgery done about five years ago on one of them for a, a really bad staph infection, and I've never really gotten back to fully walking again. And I wanted to talk about the the mental aspects of what chronic pain and chronic disease can do to people. Yeah. What's and been I your experience? What you can combat that. Okay. So why don't you tell us just a little bit more about what your experience has been? So you lost your ability to walk, right? Well, I, I, I get around with a cane now, uh-huh. but it's pretty much a constant struggle pain-wise with my knees. I'm on meloxicam, uh, 10 milligrams a day, and uh, I also take a blood pressure medicine and a, and a statin. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just, I just, there are days when I just don't want to get out of bed. I got you. I got you. I understand. So we have, uh, Richard, now we have a population of people, a growing population of people who have chronic medical illnesses that inhibit their ability to do the things they would like to do and want to do. And when you can't, uh, you can't do the things that you want to do. Uh, you get depressed, um, and, and if you're not depressed, you, you'll get crazy because depression is an appropriate thing when you. It's a situational depression like that, and uh, I think one of the things that that I see uh, in people who come in with chronic pain and uh, and arthritis problems and other problems is that they have not learn to navigate the health care system to get the um, get the care they need. Now, up until recently, uh, primary care doctors just gave everybody opiates, uh, you know, what, whatever, Tylenol number three, uh, Narco, whatever, uh, and said, go away. And now we've looked, and I was part of that uh, group. I gave a lot of narco out because I didn't have anything better to do. And now we have learned that there are many, many other things we can do for chronic pain, uh, including physical therapy, drugs like Lyrica that are not narcotics, gabapentin, uh, spinal stimulators, which are great for people with low back pain now, all kinds of different things. So I think uh, the most important thing is to get to enough for your knees is to get to enough specialists. And they're special, these orthopedists now are specializing in one bone apiece. They're guys who only do knees, guys who only do toes. And so I would get to a knee guy, if you haven't already done that, and see if there's anything done to fix your knees. And uh, th- there is always a way to fix knee problems, and that is to get a knee replacement. 
and uh, that will fix the pain in your knees for sure. They cut off the ends of the bones and stick in this prosthetic uh, metal knee thing, and your pain goes away over time. So so I, I would exhaust all those resources, including a pain management uh, specialist. And then if you're still depressed, you need to be on antidepressants, and you need to start thinking of someone uh, else. You need to do some volunteer work. The best way uh, to get rid of a depression is to get out and help other folks because it, it sort of ter- reorients you to where the needs are. And that can be very, very difficult because one of the characteristics of depression is no get up and go. You just can't get anything. You can't do anything. You don't want to do anything. You get joy from nothing, you know, nothing. And that's where an antidepressant will give you a jump start but you've also got to go to the next uh, level. And if you want to know some more about this, send me an email at southernremedy.mpbonline.org, and I will send you a patient information uh, sheet on depression, which um, can be very helpful. Thank you so much for your call. You're listening to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick at one 877 We're going to Jackson and Ben. Hey, Ben. Hey, Ben. Uh, hey, Doc. Um, I actually, my call is kind of similar to the previous caller. Okay. Um, I had I had called you a couple of weeks ago where I'd gone to see an orthopedist with about my wrist. Yeah. And uh, they had prescribed like 25 milligrams of meloxicam, you know, Mobic, whatever it's called. And 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 there was no talk about a stomach protector. Mm-hmm. And um, and then you know on my own I found out that that was an issue. Well, I, I was going through some um, some of the paperwork and things I'd received when I'd gone for my initial visit, and I realized that. The uh, nurse practitioner that I'd seen that night from the same group had prescribed something called Durexis, which is, I think that's the right way to say it, but it's, a, it's, a, it's the same type of medication or, or, or for the same problem, except it has a built-in stomach protector wrapped around it, and mm-hmm. you take it three times a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I've not called those folks back because I just haven't felt like going through that process. And since I've found myself with these, this other medicine they prescribed, instead of taking it every day, three times a day, how about just taking that once when I need it? It seems like you know okay. I mean? All right. Well, let me let me let me make sure uh, that uh, uh, I have this straight. The drug that they're talking about uh, uh, with a built-in stomach protector is the, the trade name of that is Arthrotech, and it has a different thing in it than uh, uh, the the anti-acid stomach protector that I was talking about. It works. It has caraphate in it, which helps cure up ulcers, which everybody gets. Uh, you, ever, you get little ulcers if you use a non-steroidal uh, no matter what, and you'll see gastritis in anybody who uses one chronically without a stomach protector. Uh, in your particular case, since you have tolerated meloxicam, which is a once-a-day medicine, it would seem to me that it would be cheaper for you and less trouble is just to continue the Omperazole over-the-counter that I suggested you get, which you can get a long-acting one uh, of, with your uh, with your present non-steroidal and stick with that, okay? And if we need to talk more about that, send me an email and I definitely will respond. Well, time's up again. Boy, it went mighty fast. Uh, we, uh, we really, really appreciate your calls today, and I hope we've given you some information that's helpful. Uh, you can send us an email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org or stay tuned and give us a call next week or listen to us again on Sunday. 
Thanks for listening. We'll be back same time, same place with Southern Remedy, a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting with the support of the University of Mississippi Medical Center.